chapter 13. Um, that's where we are continuing on through. Last week, as we began this chapter, we were able to make it through the first six verses. And um, this is the chapter, as you guys remember, if you're here last week, this chapter has to do with three things that are hot topics, especially in the time that we're living in right now. One world government, right? One world religion and, and a one world monetary system. Um, perhaps it appears to be some kind of a cashless society that we're all moving to that the Bible predicts. And the, in the chapter 13 is kind of the, the meat and potatoes of those kinds of things that, that are coming up and what a lot of different passages in scripture talk about. And we're kind of bouncing all over the place last week. We're not going to do that so much this week as we continue on. But as we looked at the events last week with the one world government, we looked at the Antichrist, um, specifically as it refers to in the first six verses, uh, as John speaks in verses one and two, it's this beast that's rising up out of the sea, the beast that will come forth from the Gentile nations. And, and he will go from, we're told that this Antichrist will initially come into power as a political leader, brokering a peace treaty among several nations. And, and with that alliance, he'll become a, a, a world leader, but he'll rise up from being a political leader to being a leader of a 10-nation alliance that will be that last world empire. And he'll become really the last satanic dictator, and uh, our world has been filled with him down through the history of the world. But he'll be the last satanic dictator who rules over the entire world, and as a result, and this is all, excuse me, as a result of the power that he receives from the dragon, we're told, which is Satan. Now, um, we're also told that this shift from a political leader to an evil, evil world dictator, that it takes place in the middle of the tribulation period. The tribulation is a lot of things. It's, 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 um, it's, but at its, at, its, at its roots, it's a seven-year period of time where the wrath of God is being poured out upon the world in judgment, but also a time where God's dealing with the Hebrew people. And we see that from some of the, the, the passages in Jeremiah and in Daniel that we've studied out previously to this. But at the midway point of the, of the tribulation period, this evil world dictator, the Antichrist, he will use his authority to make war with the entire earth. He's going he's to break that peace treaty. He's going to form this additional alliance. and He's going to attack the inhabitants of the earth. And we're told that his power will continue to reign for the last three and a half years, for the 42 months that are left of the tribulation period. And during this time, we're actually told that no one will be able to stand against the Antichrist. There's never been a world dictator like this before. But at this time, no one will be able to stand against the Antichrist, meaning any kind of other world power, any kind of government. No one will be able to intercede and stop this guy. And, and he's, he, he's like the old Roman empires in that he will do more than just rule as a dictator. He will demand to be worshipped as a god. And so this beast who rises up out of the sea will be given authority to rule over the entire world for that last three and a half years. But in this chapter, we also see that the Antichrist is going to give the authority that he's received, a portion of it, to another beast, a false prophet, who will oversee, we're told, a one-world religion and enforce 
the worship of the Antichrist, the, 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 the Antichrist who demands to be worshipped as God, this other beast, this false prophet, will be the one to orchestrate and enforce the worshipping of the Antichrist by killing any who refuse to worship him. And this second beast will further help the Antichrist also control all the inhabitants of the earth by causing them to take the mark of the beast in order to be able to um, buy and sell. And in doing so, he will establish that cashless society, that one world currency that we see we are moving forward to. Now, as we continue on, we see that the temporary power, and it is a temporary power, keep in mind, because at the end of three and a half years, beginning in Revelation chapter 19 and on through, we see that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, returns to the earth. Jesus Christ, the one who we remember this morning through communion, knowing that His return is near, He's going to come and change things. So the Antichrist's power is temporary, and, and, and while he has that temporary power over the world, he also has power to make war against, we're told, and overcome um, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ during this tribulation period. So there will be some who will turn to Christ, some who believe in Jesus Christ, some who resist the Antichrist, but it's going to cost them their lives. In the light of this, I want to point out that there is a great word of encouragement, because you're like, man, that sounds really depressing. But in these verses that we're going to read through, and I want to let you know ahead of time so you can look at it, specifically in verses 9 and 10, that there's a great word of encouragement that's given to us, a, a, a word of encouragement that should remind us all of the fact that we follow a loving and just God who will in the end make things right. And you know, that is a great comfort, especially I think today and the things that we even prayed for, because I think about the things that happened in Colorado Springs. I think about the Aurora movie shooter. I think about the things that took place in, in San Bernardino. I think about all of the injustices that have personally happened to me, which are by no means in comparison to those kinds of injustices. But you all have had injustice happen to you. And when we think about whether it's the injustice that we've received personally or the, the, the injustices that we see in the world or to our loved ones, you know what? We can easily lose hope unless we remember that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior, there is coming a day when He's going to make everything that has been wrong or every wrong made right. And man, that's what verses 9 and 10 is telling us. And so as we read here, we're going to begin in verse 7, picking up where we left off last week. And again, this is speaking of the Antichrist as we kind of jump back into the middle of the text here, and we'll read on down through through the rest of the chapter. But uh, kind of key in on verses 9 and 10 as you, as you see this. So it says in verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the Lamb, or the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 9 If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And we see that repeated all throughout the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, if you go to the very beginning of the book, it tells us that there's a blessing for those who read and hear 
right? Even just a blessing for hearing. And that word in, in the Greek is the implication of not just hearing like uh, sometimes our kids hear us, but hearing where you actually hear and receive and respond to, to what's been spoken. And, and um, so, you know, lots of times people ask me, matter of fact, John was asking me at the end of the study last week, he goes, what's the point of knowing the book of Revelation? He said, not that I don't see reasons for it, but but what more is it? And, and there's blessings in it all throughout for us about knowing about these end times events. And lots of times we can go, yeah, why? Because the Bible tells us that we are going to be gone for the majority of these things, that, that we're not going to see these things as the church. So why does God want us to know? Well, here's part of the reason why is because there's a blessing found even right now. And so if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear, God says, because here's a blessing. Here's a reason, here's a blessing in knowing what's going to take place and why it's going to take place before it takes place. And in verse 10, it says this, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I know this is speaking about the tribulation saints contextually, but this promise is true to us as saints today as well. And if you're in the midst of finding yourself having a hard time dealing with the things that are going on around us, listen, you want patience and faith as a saint of God in the midst of those discouraging things? The first part of verse 10 tells you that you can find patience and faith in these two things, and we'll come back to that here in a minute. But in verse 11, it says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first because his of the first beast in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs <laughs> so, that he even so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted, and that gets kind of weird here, and he was granted power to give breath to this image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And it's not that there's three different things. They're synonymous. It's one and the same. And he says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Now, in the previous verses that we studied through last week, verses 1 through 6, John tells us that he saw... You can look there if you wish. He saw a mortal wound on one of the heads of the seven-headed beast that had risen up out of the sea. And he also said specifically in verse 3, if you look there, that that wound, that diddly wound, that mortal wound was healed. And um, I read to you last week as we were studying from that, and that in Zechariah chapter 11, um, 
we know that even though the Antichrist will survive this mortal wound, he will be physically impaired. It will cause him to be blind in one eye, and it will cause one of his arms to be lame. He'll lose he'll 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 uh, have loss of of movement in an arm however what i want to point out to you or want you to focus on this morning as we begin to move through these other verses is that his survival or his apparent even resurrection back to life you know i just want to clarify this this is opinion but it's a good opinion (laughs) And everybody has an opinion, and, and they're all like armpits, and armpits stink. You've heard me say that. But, you know, I usually try to stick right to the Word of God. But, you know, um, I, I want to offer a, an opinion to you. And anytime I do so, I want to make clear, this is not the Word of God, it's my opinion. And, and, and there's a reason why I'm, I'm taking the time to do this. Because you've heard me say when it talks about that there's, there's this apparent resurrection that's going to take place by the Antichrist after he's, after he's injured. There's others who will say, and other commentator, Bible teachers, that'll say, well, he's actually resurrected back to life. I disagree with that. I think it's an apparent resurrection. And the reason why I believe that is because God's the giver of life, not the beast, not Satan, not the dragon. He's a, he's a destroyer of life. And, so, and, 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 and we're going to talk about how Satan's a deceiver, a tricker, and an imitator. So, and, and not that it really matters except to just go, it doesn't fit because don't give credit where credit's not due. Satan's not a, a life giver. He's not. And so when you hear me always kind of emphasize that apparent resurrection, it's because of, my, because of my opinion that I have based upon those kinds of deductions. So just a little side note, perhaps a little rabbit trail, but anyway, because of this apparent resurrection back to life, it is, this is what's going to be the catalyst in causing the world to, in verse 3, marvel over this beast where they go, who is like our beast, you know? And, and, and consequently, what the result is, is, is they follow and worship the beast. And as we talked about at the end of last week's study, it's with these kinds of supernatural powers that are also spoken about later on, different kinds of powers and signs and lying wonders that the Antichrist, who is empowered and even possibly possessed by Satan at this time, it is how he will be able to deceive the inhabitants of the earth, the whole world. Most every person in the world, except for a few who, who resist, the, by far the whole majority are going to be deceived by this guy. And, um, and, and, and why that's a big deal is because we're clearly told that these inhabitants of the earth, as a result of the deception, as a result of worshiping the beast, as a result of following the beast and, and giving their alliance to the beast, um, it's going to cost them everything. They're going to perish, not only physically, but eternally, the Bible tells us. And like I pointed out last week in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verses 9 through 10, it tells us this saying, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, it says, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deceptions among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You know where the, love of, you know where the truth is found? It's found here. You can go to Hastings or you can go to um, uh, Barnes and Nobles and you can go to the religious section and then within the religious section there's thousands of books. Some of you even have the Word of God in them. And some of them are very good books. But they can't be called the truth. 
like this is the truth. We must know it. We must have a love. Do you have a love for the truth? If we have a love for the truth, it's a way that we guard ourselves against the deceptions that are taking place today and will take place in the future. We must know the Word of God. This is why I feel impassioned to teach the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter to you. And part of it is because of the things that we read here and the things that we're told. Because when you have a love of the truth, when you know the truth, when you, you, know, when you love something... I mean, you just want to hold it, right? And, and, and you know, if it's food or whatever, it's like you, you, you make it every, you, you, you dwell on it, you focus on it, you, you're, you're enraptured with it. Is that true with the Word of God? You know, I, I hear lots of people say, and I get it, I read it, I don't understand it. You know what, keep reading it. Keep reading it. If you love something, you're going to dwell in it. You're going to persevere with it. God will make it known to you. What is, he's not going to hide it from you. But we're living in times right now, if we're not lovers of the truth and making the word of God a part of who we are, we're at risk. You're at risk. Now, even in these times of great satanic deception, there will be some, we're told, who will not be deceived. Some who love the truth. Some who will be saved. Specifically, those who have had their names, according to verse 8, if you'll look there, those who have had their names written in the Lamb's book of life, and those who will choose not to worship the beast, even though they know that it's going to cost them their lives. And we think, wow. But did you know that we all probably would sit here and say this morning, if you're a follower of Christ, that I'd be willing to die for Christ. But I would tell you this. It's much harder to live for him than it is to die for him. And if you're not going to live for him today, you will not die for him tomorrow. You won't. It goes back to what we we're even reading in communion. Flee idolatry. Flee this world, guys. Leave it behind. It has nothing for us. We have a greater communion, a greater fellowship. And, and can we live for Christ today? And these, 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 these tribulation saints, they will be living for Christ and ultimately their decision for live for Christ will cost them their lives. This is what verses 7 is telling us as we read that the Antichrist will be allowed to make war with these saints and overcome them. Now, there are some who would argue the fact that these saints mentioned here is a reference to the church. And as a result, they, dis they dismiss the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. But these saints, I'm here to tell you this morning, these saints that's being spoken of here, they cannot be the church. They cannot be us. And it's, clearly, and, and it's clear that they are those who come to believe in Jesus during the tribulation. Um, uh, and, and, and one of the main reasons for why these things um, are this way is because Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he promised, Jesus promised that even though Satan and all of the legions of his demons would attack the church, they would never be able to prevail against us. Never be able to overcome us. And we who make up the church 
must rest in the promise and take comfort in this promise, even though there are truly times when it feels like Satan's winning, times when it feels like Satan's overcoming us. But remember, even though the Bible in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8 tells us to be sober, to be vigilant, to because our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It also tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that as the children of God, we cannot be overcome by Satan, because he who is greater in us is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, Satan will never be able to overcome us, the church, as long as the Holy Spirit of God is living here inside of us. And sadly, there is coming a day, as we can see here from the text this morning, that there is coming a day when Satan will overcome some of the saints, the tribulation saints, not the church, but the tribulation saints. And this is part and due to the fact that even though the Holy Spirit will still be at this time, he will, he'll be leading people into faith in Jesus Christ. He will no longer be indwelling those who believe in Christ like he, he indwells us today. Furthermore, and, and, and it'll be much like it was in the Old Testament. And, and, and furthermore, the Antichrist will be able to overcome the tribulation saints because his power and authority, we're told here, will extend over all the people of the earth at this time, all the inhabitants of the earth. This is all, just as a side note, this is everyone except for the remnant of Jews who, according to what we read back in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, they will be protected by God and they will be kept from the presence of Satan. Now look at verse 9, because in verse 9, it's, a, it's the sixth time up to this point in the book of Revelation where there is this invitation that is given saying, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Okay. I've done a survey of the room, and every one of you have at least one ear, maybe two. And in verse 10, it says, look again, He who, is let, who leads into captivity shall go into captivity, and he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith and the faith of the saints. Now, this verse is a message of hope, like I said. It's a message of encouragement. And it's an encouraging reminder to us in light of the news of the evil things that will be taking place during this time under the reign of the Antichrist. And also an encouragement, as I said, as we get report of all the evil that's going on around us on a daily basis. And because in this verse, it's telling us that, that um, even though the Antichrist has a power that will um, consume the earth, it is telling us that in the end, that the love, which is the most important thing, that the love, when in these things go hand in hand, they should never be apart, as some people think that they should be, but the love and the justice of God will prevail. That's what this verse is telling us. That in the end, the love and the justice of God will prevail. You see, this verse is saying that eventually the ones who are killing God's saints and leading the world into captivity, that they themselves will be made captive. And according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, the devil, the Antichrist, 
and the false prophet, all three, in the end, you can go there and look, they will be cast into the lake of fire where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The point is, God desires for those of us who are His, those of us who are going through and will go through hard things in this life, God desires for us to know how it will all end. And the fact of the matter is, is there is a blessing in this that we often lose sight of, especially when we're in the moment of those hard things. Because in those hard times, in those moments, and we look around the world around us and we go, we go when is it going to end? And God says there's a day coming. And there's a blessing in knowing this. And something that we need to be consciously reminded of. Because when we remember that very soon there is coming a day when all of the forces that are against us in this life that inflict persecution, that incite problems, and that cause tribulation, there is coming a day when it will all be done away with. And when we know this, it gives us the patience, we're told here, the patience to persevere. To continue on when we feel like giving up. And not only that, it gives us the patience to persevere, to continue on when we feel like giving up, but it also keeps us in this place of living righteously where we don't take things into our own hands, where we retaliate against others, where we can love those who don't love us, pray for those who do evil, to do good to those who despise us, you see, a big part of our faith in Jesus includes the fact that in the end, God will carry out His righteous justice. I mean, even the world today cries for it, right? If God's a loving God, why isn't He a, a just God? Why isn't He taking care of these things? You know, that big mouth Oprah Winfrey was on, was on TV again today of this week talking about some things, saying prayer ain't going to change anything in relationship to these things. You know, and, and they, they, they kind of laugh at God and shake their fist in God's face and curse God. And if, if God's a loving God, then why doesn't He do something about this? Well, you know what? There's, there is coming a day when God is going to do something about this. And, and God in His love and His justice is going to do it. But God right now in His love and His grace is holding back His wrath for a time so that all might be saved. You know, as we've been studying to, through this, Ezekiel writes and he tells that God's God's justice, God's wrath is His strange work, the Bible tells us. You know what God's familiar work is? Grace. Mercy. You know, may that be true in our own lives. So often we're so quick to condemn, so quick to judge, so quick to hold people back from us and not give them the love that God says to give because we go, you don't deserve it. And the love of God is the strange work in us through our lives when rather it should be the, the judgment, it should be the condemnation, it should be the, the unloved, that, 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 is, that should be the strange work. And what should be the familiar work is that we are known for our love of others. So we, like the tribulation saints, because of our faith, you know what, we can live in a state of anticipation and truly a state of celebration. Do you do that? Do you go throughout your week with anticipation and celebration? Celebrating the life that we've been given to live no matter what hardships we face because we know in the end, because we have the perseverance and the faith knowing that 
He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity, and he who kills with the sword must eventually be killed by the sword. Our God, who loves us, our dad, who sees everything, is going to make it right. As we patiently hold on to the fact that our God is in control, even when it feels like everything is out of control, we receive joy, we receive peace, in spite of the circumstances that we're going through. In verse 11, we read on, and it says, Then I saw another beast, John says, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all authority of the first beast, uh, exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth and in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Here we are told about another beast, and I know this can get confusing, but there's basically the dragon, who's the first beast, there's the Antichrist, who's the seven-headed beast that rises up out of the sea, and then this third beast, just so you have clarity, is the false prophet, and he's, he's the one that's given a power by the second beast, and, and, and he's the third mentioned so far in the prophetic account. Now, if you look back, just so you can have the, 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 the Scripture reference, in, in, verses, in chapter 12, verse 3, it speaks of the, the fiery red dragon. And, um, and in, in, in the beginning of this chapter is where we read about the beast who rose up out of the sea, the Antichrist. And then here in verse 11, a third beast is being described. And if you look here, he's being described differently. And this is very interesting because he's being described as having two horns like a what? Like a lamb, it says, but also speaking like a dragon. Man, this, it doesn't get no more typical than this, because what, what we're being told here is that um, this is like the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what this is. It's what we're being told here. Another way of, of, of saying it, you know, having a lamb, a horn like a lamb, but also speaking like a dragon. In other words, this beast will be this, this beast that comes from the, that, that represents the Antichrist. He'll be a wolf in sheep's clothing. And this beast, basically, he'll have the appearance of being good like Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, right? He'll have this appearance of being good like Jesus who is the Lamb of God is good, but he will also speak like a dragon, which is, again, if you look back to where we're at in chapter 12, verse 3, the dragon being symbolic of Satan, meaning that behind the outward appearance of good, there's an inward evil with this beast. Now, this symbolism makes perfect, perfect um, sense, especially in light of the fact that 2 Corinthians chapter 11, right, it tells us that false prophets whether it's in the future or the ones today, because there's false teachers, false prophets today, many who stand behind pulpits, sadly, but false prophets today who will outwardly appear to be something that they are not, just like Satan, who disguises himself, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as an angel or a minister of light. Now when we consider this the false prophet, it's important to note in Revelation chapter 20 where it talks about how they'll all be cast into the lake of fire, we see that he along with the Antichrist will end up in that lake of fire. But before he meets this fiery doom, we see here that he is given authority. 
He's given authority to the Antichrist, by the Antichrist to do two things. To establish and to enforce this one world religion that we're all so familiar with that's supposed to be coming. Which, according to verse 12, clearly centers on the worship of the first beast who had received the diddly or the mortal wound and was healed. Now, during the tribulation, we see that Satan and those who will work for him, they will um, uh, perpetrate their deceptions in many ways. They're going to execute deception in many ways. But again, just like we know the character and the nature of God, we know the character and the nature of Satan. God's a life giver. Satan's the life taker. Um, God's the creator. Satan, he's the creator of nothing. He's not the creator of anything new. The best he can do is pervert. The best he can do is lie. Do you know that all sin is just a perversion of something that is good? You know, God's given us this desire for food so that we might be healthy. But gluttony, the sin of gluttony, is when you sit down and eat 24 Oreos instead of one. You know? And, and one Oreo, well, two. Two Oreos are probably not sinful. But three or more might be there. But you see, Satan didn't invent sin. It's just a perversion of what is already good from God. Satan's not the creator of anything. The best he can do is lie, pervert, and attempt to deceive by imitating the real thing. And this is seen in several things we have been talking about as we've been studying through the book of Revelation. The first is seen as Satan will ultimately um, try to imitate the resurrection of Jesus Christ by his apparent resurrection of the Antichrist after he suffers this mortal wound. And then at the end of this chapter, we'll read and see that there's another satanic imitation, literally, with the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is just a satanic, a satanic imitation of the very seal or a copy of the seal of protection that we're told about that God will put on the foreheads of the 144,000 Jewish male virgin witnesses who work for God during this time. Furthermore, we see in this chapter how Satan ultimately, if you look at the big picture, he's, he's imitating the Holy Trinity, which is God the Father, Jesus the Son, who is the expressed image of the Father, and the Holy Spirit who points people to Jesus and leads them into a love relationship and of worship of the Son. And Satan will imitate this with his satanic trinity of the dragon, the Antichrist, who we're told that looks like the dragon, and the false prophet, who will point people to the Antichrist. Yet in this satanic imitation of the real thing, we see that the false prophet, who will point people to the Antichrist and deceive them into worshiping Satan, uh, as they as 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 they as they were, he'll be deceived into doing that because they'll be worshiping the beast. They'll actually be worshiping Satan. And in verse thirteen, it tells us that this beast will be able to do what? Supernatural things. Specifically, he'll be able to call down fire just like the two witnesses of God who will be there in Jerusalem. We're spoken of back in chapter 11. You know, it's like God reveals and Satan goes, oh, that's a good idea. I think I'll do this with it. But in the end, 
Any who refuse to worship the image of the beast and refuse to the mark of the beast, they won't receive the love of the dragon. They'll be killed. Oh my gosh. Verse 14. (laughs) And he who deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast and who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted the power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, weird, and cause as many as would not worship the beast or the image of the beast to be killed. Um, tell you the truth, I think that the image of this beast is a really weird thing. And after studying it out, I'm less sure of what it is going to be than before I started studying it. But apparently, this image, of the, this image really, which is an image of the Antichrist, is what those who dwell on the earth are going to be focusing their um, worship towards. And there's some that say that this goes, in, this, this goes in conjunction with the Antichrist entering the temple and defiling it, that he'll be setting up this image or whatever it is there in the temple for people to come and worship him as God. Now, the Greek word for the word image in both of these verses that we read is the word icon. It's spelled E-I-K-O-N, and you can understand we get our own word icon in in much a similar way. And it means having the same form as something, a copy or exact replica of. And in light of this statue or a picture, um, or in light of, excuse me, in light of this, a statue or a picture is what typically comes to mind when we think of of an icon um, in that, in that, in that, with, that, with that Greek word. However, this replica, this icon that we're reading about here, it's very different. It's unusually different in that the false prophet, we're told, will be able to give breath and it will be able to speak and even kill anyone who does not worship it. And now there are many different opinions as to what this image is and they all are, it's all they are is opinion. But one opinion that makes sense to me in light of modern-day technology is that this image might be a clone of the Antichrist. I don't know. You can make up your own opinion. And if it's good, share it with me. But whatever it ends up being, um, this quote-unquote image of the beast, the more important thing is, is we'll see that he will further aid in the power of deception of this false prophet. Or, or the power of deception that this false prophet has, is, and he has, and he'll use his power to get those who dwell on the earth at this time to worship Satan and to do what the Antichrist wants them to do, including, as we read in the very last verses, to get people, okay, not just some people, but all people, all people from every social and economic class to take upon themselves the mark of this beast. And that's what we read in verses 8, 16 through 18. And so if the worship team wants to come up, I'm just going to close with this. Um, man, this is a... I'm not going to close with this. I'm going to stop there with the mark of the beast. And I promise you next week we will... I will, add, I will not go on to chapter 14 without doing this because there's a really cool... Come on up. A really cool picture here for us. And, and, and I know a lot of you guys are going, okay, 666, the mark of the beast, the name of all that. I don't want to rush through that in two minutes and maybe go long. So, as Paul Harvey says, come next week and you'll get the rest of the story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you that your word is rich 
for us to chew on, to take in, that it's interesting, that it's exciting, that it's alive. And, and God, we are grateful for the encouragement that was found in it this morning, even as we see, God, that you're going to make all things right. Help us, Lord, to patiently wait upon you, to trust in you. And Lord, when we do that, not only do we look forward to your return, but we're able to be free in our hearts, in our minds, to love as you love. God, do that work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys stand and we'll worship together with one last song.